purple get ready to roll indeed welcome back it's college and kimball again i'm your host jeff urquhart joined by i think i want to start calling us the podcats as a collective i don't know we might have to workshop that but uh justin nutter alex beth and clint wilson probably should have talked to you guys about that before i threw it out there and put it in the ether but hey let's get it out in the public and see what the people have to say about it so if you have thoughts on the podcats as a nickname feel free to hit up our twitter it's college underscore Kimball. You'll also find our individual handles linked out on that page. So guys, we we had a fun time talking 2010 steps being taken, uh, some pretty noticeable progress offensively, defensively, not so much. <laughs> um, one of the worst units, uh, not just in, uh, in college football that season, but historically for K-State 2010 was uh, kind of a, a bad mark uh, for a program that really we had come to know for defenses and the big calling card of the Snyder football teams, obviously in the late 90s and whatnot. But we pivoted forward, though, looking ahead to 2011 uh, to just kind of recap what happened 2010, though. Cats go seven and five in the regular season, three and five in the Big 12, finished tied for third with the Iowa State Cyclones. Cats end up making a bowl game for the first time since 2006. And of course, the infamous salute that leads to a two-point conversion that gets pushed back 15 yards. And unfortunately, K-State ends up dropping the pinstripe bowl to Syracuse. So Cats finish the year at seven and six after falling in the bowl game. So now we look ahead to the 2011 season roster turnover to start off with, though. A big, big name, Alex, that comes off of this team in 2010 and, and ultimately gets taken in the NFL draft, Daniel Thomas. Big departure there. And I think it left a lot of us wondering uh, how, what the future of running back might have held. Uh, just having his stability there was obviously a, a pretty big item for those 2009 and 2010 teams. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Daniel Thomas goes in the second round to the Miami Dolphins. Very big loss, almost 3,000 rushing yards, 30 rushing touchdowns. Although there is some uh, some some guys on the roster we're looking to take over. Uh, we lose Carson Kaufman, a, you know, competent quarterback. Um, I think at that time, that's more of a question mark of who's repl- who's going to be the quarterback. We lose our uh, number one receiver, Aubrey Quarles, number three, Adrian Hilburn, uh, William Powell, our underutilized running back who has had a pretty good professional career. Uh, they all graduate. <clears throat> on the D, uh, sorry, we also lose Kenny Mayfield, Wade Weiber, Zach Kendall, and Trevor Veers. That vaunted 2010 defense, uh, you know, we lost Prezel Brown, Antonio Felder, Brandon Harold leaves with eligibility remaining, and Stephen Harrison. Lots, lots to uh, fill on the offensive side. The defense didn't really lose much. Uh, they had some guys waiting in the wings. Oops. Absolutely. Lots of returning personnel on the defensive side, a uh, position change up coming for Emmanuel Lemire as well. Uh, lots of things actually to look forward to with that 2011 defense, namely Arthur Brown finally becoming eligible for K-State. We'll obviously circle back to that here in a little bit, but 
We talk about the turnover there. Well, we've got a lot of personnel coming back. So again, a year where you look at how the recruiting class piles up, you know the transfers coming in, Clint. I think we're all feeling pretty optimistic, really, about what 2011 is ultimately going to shape up to be. The best recruiting class of Snyder 2.0, maybe not by the rankings, but looking back at the players and how they did, starting off with Tyler Lockett. Uh, obviously, everybody who's a K-State fan knew who he was coming in, son of uh, Kevin Lockett, nephew of Aaron Lockett. Uh, I will proudly say that I was uh, fully on board, knew he was going to be a star. I miss on a lot of recruits, so when the ones that I'm right on, I'll pound my chest about. Uh, there was also Cody Whitehair, uh, uh, NFL player right there, Dante Barnett, Shermichael Moore, Daniel Sams, Morgan Burns, Boston Stuyvesant, Glenn Gronkowski, and that's just the high school guys. We got Meshack Williams, Nigel Malone, Vi Latui, Alan Chapman, Justin Tuggle, Angelo Peace, Kip Daly, all coming in from the JUCO ranks who would go on to be starters and pretty good players. Uh, a few decent walk-ons. We had Jack Cantelli. Jared Milo would go on to start for that 2012 team. Joe Hubner would start quite a few games at quarterback. Really a loaded class, as you said. Uh, certainly, again, if you look at the rankings, K-State uh, was ninth in the Big 12, 51st overall on 24-7, just 68th overall on rivals. But as you just touched on, though, Clint, tons of hits in that particular class. Lots of great evaluation being done by the staff on that front. And uh, with that being said, so we've talked here about recruiting. We've talked about personnel turnover. We look forward to the the off season that was leading up to the 2011 campaign. And Nutter, uh, we have the formal departure and now Nebraska and Colorado joining at that point, the Big Ten and what was formerly the Pac-10, now the Pac-12. So we have that element of it. Uh, Texas A&M and Mizzou later on will announce that they are leaving for the SEC. So we we talked so much last time around about how we were feeling about the viability of the Big 12 and and truthfully the additions that the conference made at that point in time. I, I don't know how you felt, but I, I certainly didn't feel as though the conference was on very solid footing. Well, I mean, when you lose, you know, four four teams in a matter of two years, I think three of them being charter schools, as you alluded to last week, you know, three of these schools had been around since the days of the big, big six. Like, you got to be feeling pretty uneasy. Obviously, the difference here being we do have two two new schools coming in, you know, so kind of high-fiving on their way out the door. Um, uh, A&M and Missouri obviously announced they're leaving for the SEC Leaves a bitter taste in some mouths, I think. But by that same token, we do announce the addition of West Virginia and TCU. So, I mean, I think that that probably provided a little bit of. Uh, I think people probably weren't quite as nervous because, you know, we do have two new schools coming in. Uh, that probably gives a little bit more sense of security that, like, we might get this thing headed in the right direction. And obviously, you know, those 10 schools are still where we're sitting today, you know. A decade later. So, yeah, um, you know, obviously some volatility there for a while and definitely reason to be nervous. But it did it did end up working out in the end, you know, at least at least enough that the Big 12 is, you know, we're, we're still afloat. 
<laughs> about as good a uh, way to frame it, though, Nutter. Uh, now, I will say, and I feel like whenever you, you, you see a, a press release come out for a new coach that's been brought on or whatever the case ends up being, you always see all those accomplishments highlighted. And, and I think, and sometimes you read through it and you, you know, you're going to be justifiably skeptical, but you you look at the, the resumes of those teams that the big 12 did bring in at that point in time, TCU was, I won't say a hot commodity, but arguably the best non-AQ school out there, uh, having the previous, at that point, the previous four seasons won 11, 13, 12, and 11 games. Gary Patterson is just owning the Mountain West. And in, in that t- uh, that stretch, though, they appeared in, uh, at that point in time, what were BCS Bowls, they ended up beating, uh, winning the Rose Bowl and losing a Fiesta Bowl in 2009. So TCU, uh, again, a very respectable program coming in, obviously a great geographic fit, obviously a former old Southwest uh, conference member. So I'm sure the likes of Texas and Texas Tech and Baylor and whatnot are more than welcomed, uh, more than happy to welcome in a, a former conference mate into the Big 12. And then West Virginia, again, kind of a cast off of uh, the Big East. And uh, what a program, though, that still remains the winningest program in college football to not win a national championship at that uh, at that point in time had uh, accrued over 600 wins and they had been close several times. And I remember the, the 2000 and se- uh, 2007 season, uh, Pat White and Steve Slayton, that program just inches away from making a, an appearance in the national title game and unfortunately doesn't come to fruition there. So still some very respectable uh teams that are brought into the Big 12. Geographically, West Virginia has always been on that island. Now, And with that being said, though, uh, with the Big East dissolving and with a couple of other, with with really everything seemed just very fluid. Anybody really in the non-AQ conferences really seemed like they, they will listen to any offer if a Power 5 conference is willing to listen. And the Big 12 was really the only one shopping at that point in time. Uh, they would be willing to throw their resume out there. Um, I'll ask uh, I'll ask you, Clint, uh, if the Big 12 had to add two more on top of that, who would you like to have seen them get in addition to West Virginia and TCU? Would have liked to have seen. Uh, I think we were all hoping for Notre Dame. You know, that was a <laughs> pipe dream, but uh, that certainly came up quite a bit. BCU, BYU has come up quite a few times over the years. Uh, I, for a while there, there's Florida State. The Arizona schools, um, I, I personally like to have the uh, local schools. I'll keep it regional. Um, so uh, Houston was always kind of attractive to me. Uh, Louisville also. Yep. Yep, those were two names you definitely heard Big 12 fans throw out there. And and I, I'll echo those, those same sentiments. Uh, again, the geography is what... Uh, in proximity to other schools. That's what's builds it builds rivalries. It's you're going to be fighting in the same recruiting territory to get the services of these kids. And I, I always kind of scoff when I hear that talking point at this point in time, a lot of folks are throwing out, you know, the likes of UCF and USF and trying to make these weird, like pot, like geographic pods, like hitting in the Southeast and like trying to 
snatch up like an ECU and a Louisville and just ma- make this just a really mismatched conference. And I, I, I'm very grateful the Big 12 did not go that route. And also in the same breath, when people talk about, well, if you add the Florida schools, you get into Florida. And well, if if I'm a recruit or if I'm a coach, like, so we play U- UCF, we go there once every four years, maybe, maybe every four years. Is a Florida kid really going to feel like, oh, yeah, I- I'm going to be more than happy to go to a Kansas State or to Iowa State or whatever it ends up being. So I always just kind of laugh when I hear that talking point of what the addition of USF and UCF, the, floor, the presence of Florida would have given the Big 12. I really don't think it would have amounted to a whole lot of anything and probably just would have again created more friction when it when we start talking about the financial side of things how the the pie starts to get divided for television rights and whatnot but nevertheless the big 12 does hold steady so this we are going into a new look in terms of the conference slate for 2011 where we have a a nine-game conference schedule. So Texas A&M and Mizzou are still, at this point, technically members, their final season in the Big 12 Conference. So K-State's going to do the full round robin this year where they will play all schools. And then we have the non-conference slate of Eastern Kentucky, Kent State, and then a road trip to Miami. And Alex, I'll ask you, just having looked at that schedule and knowing what K-State was going to be bringing in, uh, the Brown brothers obviously coming in to help out on both sides of the ball there. Colin Klein taking over at quarterback, having seen a lot of flashes the year before, particularly, as we all know, in the run game. Uh, how were you feeling it, just seeing the way that the schedule shaped up? What did you feel like was the ceiling for that team going into 2011? Oh, I don't know. It was There was a huge question mark at quarterback. I think that was my main concern going into the year. Um, playing on the road at Miami, who had kind of been a teetering program at that time, but you know that's still a tough road game. I was thinking we might improve on 2010 and maybe win eight games or so, but I thought our our floor could have been, you know, I was just hoping bowl game that year, honestly. <laughs> I think, uh, Alex, I think you and I are really simpatico on a lot because I always look at a schedule and I think to myself, well. <laughs> Got a road trip there. That's probably going to be an L road trip there. That's probably going to be an L. And, and I I don't know how anybody else felt. Nutter, did you have any different thoughts about what this team might've been capable of achieving going into 2011? I mean, there were, there was reason for excitement, but again, you know, we kind of touched on it last week. I think the concern, at least for me was, you know, how one dimensional is this offense going to be? You know, it's, I think re- kind of revisiting it last week made me kind of realize how insane that that Texas win was, you know, where we throw the ball a whopping four times. And it's like we're not going to be able to pull out, you know, seven, seven, eight wins doing that weekend and week out. So, I mean, there was reason for optimism, but also reason for concern. I don't think if anybody tells you, you know, we're going to start seven and oh and, and, and rattle off 10 wins when it's all said and done. I mean, I you'd be hard pressed to believe them, I think. Especially trying to rebuild that deep. I mean, obviously the defense couldn't be much worse, but, you know, how much better were they going to be? So we had the Brown brothers, Chris Harper, Broderick Smith, and uh, young Tim Tebow, as any TV announcer would tell you, all 2011. I hated that so much. (laughs) So, of course, I would have told you we're going to rattle off seven wins and get to ten wins by the end of the season. Because, you know, I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to K-State. 
you're you're a better man than I. I, I know I, I was I was excited, cautiously optimistic because I felt like Colin again, he had obviously shown that he could run the ball and he had the frame and the, the durability I don't think was ever really a question for any one of us. Now ooh, would would the durability ever be put to the test this year <laughs> because uh, that man carried the ball quite a bit and we we see it early and often in the season opener and this was a game that made a lot of people very nervous and pretty much a game throughout where you never really felt like K-State was ever going to get over the hump this is the season opener against Eastern Kentucky again this is a a bad one double a squad uh, I remember very vividly, it was a very bleh weather day in Manhattan. I, I know we had some storms rolling in later in the evening. I was running the board for, for K-Man for this game. And I just, after listening through about the, the second quarter, it was one of those things where you just feel like, is this team ever going to be able to get out of its own way? Uh, they just could not string together drives they they obviously struggled to put points on the board as as evidenced by the final score but i'll i'll ask you nutter do you remember anything in this game outside of the final drive that ultimately put k-state on top uh other than you know no you kind of alluded to it the the play from from klein to harper to finally get them the lead that they would not relinquish no not much to take away from it what i do remember though you guys all know how how strong Bill preached against distraction, right? You know he wanted these guys, he wanted these guys focused day in and day out. And um, I don't think it can be understated. So this season kicked off September third, twenty eleven, and if I remember right, four days before, I'm sitting in my desk in Duncan, Oklahoma, at the time, um, wearing a K State polo, and one of my coworkers, who is actually not much of a sports guy comes up to me and goes, have you seen your school in the headlines today? And I said, no, what do you mean? And uh, all I needed to Google was Kansas State, and Google autofilled to Kansas State EcoCat. And I pulled up a picture, and the next two words out of my mouth were, oh, no. (laughs) And um, the meteoric rise of EcoCat, the best I can figure, had our team so distracted that – they, they came out flat and had to survive against Eastern Kentucky. Um, let me check my clock real quick. I, I'm calling. And, yeah, um, th- th- this discussion about EcoCat, I believe, has outlived EcoCat. So uh, that's <laughs> about all I have to say about that. I'm calling BS of those being the words out of your mouth, Justin. Well, this is a family. Is this a family fin- friendly podcast? <laughs> we haven't decided yet. All right. Well, that's my story. <laughs> and I'm sticking to it. I tagged it with the explicit when I uh, first started uploading these just to be on the safe side. So All right. use it at your discretion. I, I will say <laughs> heard that theory that they were distracted by EcoCat, but maybe, maybe. I think that's as good a theory as any. Uh, hey, this story <laughs> about that game. It what was were you doing the night before that, Clint. What was I doing the night before that? Yeah. Oh, you'll have to oh, tell I me. feel like there's a story there. You don't remember? Uh, fill me in. <laughs> you were at my wedding, you a-hole. Oh, okay. <laughs> your dry wedding. You were in my wedding. Yeah. Sorry, I don't oh, know your Alex. Oh, not my fault. Blame Kansas State University for that one. 
They won't let you have alcohol in the union, apparently. Not with that attitude. <laughs> well, thing, they told us we could, and then we planned the wedding, and then like a month later, they're like, oh, crap, you can only have alcohol if it's a fundraising event. And we're like, okay, we've already planned it, and we have a lot of people there that are going to want some alcohol. <laughs> All of the cards that you're seeing on the table are donations to the Alex and, I'm sorry, I don't know your wife's name, Alex and wife fund to start our life together. Boom, uh, fundraising yeah, right the, there. Uh, it was Be creative. <laughs> so, but you should remember where you were, Clint, because obviously you weren't drinking, so... Well, I must have been too focused on EcoCat. <laughs> EcoCat and EKU. I, I, it, did, it, it did us all in. Oh, my goodness. Is that what EKU? Never mind. Uh, we, I feel like there's a conspiracy theory starting to, <laughs> to, to spin here. But, uh, free in Justin's head for over a decade. Yeah, almost a decade. <laughs> the worst Is that how thing I've that? ever seen. Kids it was one of the few times I can remember being like really embarrassed about my my uh, alma mater. Like I remember saying that and just guys, we we focus group this. We did so much to to we somebody had this idea. We workshopped this. We talked to people. We got approvals, and we're just gonna roll this thing out. Yeah, never. Neither here nor there. Power towel and guitar Willie were also pretty bad. I was just power towel video notwithstanding. This is probably the marketing department's biggest blunder that I can think of. Bring it with you to every game. Every game. Every <laughs> game. Watch us give up 58 points and 593 yards. Uh, but not the case on this day. K-State's defense does its job, obviously limiting EKU to just the seven points. Uh, and they do hold on. Uh, Colin Klein finding Chris Harper on uh, really at the 11th hour, 139 left in the fourth quarter to put K-State up 10 to seven. The Wildcats hold on for a win. So one to know. <laughs> That's about all you can say about this one. Moving on, K-State gets right next week, though. Defense sits on Kent State, gets a shutout, of, uh, first shutout of the Snyder 2.0 era. So re very refreshing to see uh, the defense again, thinking about how poor that unit was, both defending the run and uh, obviously both <laughs> defending pretty much anything in 2010. Very refreshing to see, you know, even considering the competition that you threw two games, the units only surrendered seven points. They forced some turnovers, uh, and they get a 37 to nothing win over Kent State. David Garrett gets a pick six to open things up for the Wildcats in this one. They never really looked back. Uh, the one thing that I do recall, though, through these first couple of games, and obviously a name we haven't really touched on yet, but really the biggest name, perhaps, of the offseason was Bryce Brown. And I have been waiting for such an occasion here. I know this is around. Here we go. I have no idea how, but here is a PowerCat Illustrated leading up to the season, <laughs> May 6, 2011. And this was arguably the biggest get of the Snyder 2-0 recruiting uh, regime. And we're all just kind of waiting to see, you know. Yes, there are some new faces on the offensive line, but we're not seeing a lot of touches for Bryce Brown. And and Clint, through this point, we're, we're seeing John Huber getting a lion's share of the, the snaps at running back. Uh, what are your feelings about Bryce through the first couple of games? Just 
knowing that this guy was clearly the the, the best in terms of physical talent in, in the running back room, but we're not seeing him get the snaps. Yeah, he was arguably the best get of any time period at Kansas State. I mean, he was the number one overall recruit in the country. Obviously, we didn't get him out of high school, but um, coming from Tennessee, there was huge expectations for him. Uh, I was pretty high on Hubert coming out of high school. He uh, had broke all of LaDainian Tomlinson's records in Waco. Uh, he had a really nice recruiting tape, um, but him getting the start and the lion's share of the carries was a bit of a surprise. Um, I think Bryce Brown had three carries in that uh, Eastern Kentucky game. He averaged five or six yards a carry. Uh, he looked good when he had the ball in his hands. Um, I think we'd find out he was not such a willing blocker. He was not <laughs> such a, a team player, so to speak. And obviously, Snyder, as we know, puts a premium on that. This has always been a t- one of the big focuses of the goals we talk about not just the 16 goals, playing complimentary football, doing all of the little detailed things when the ball is not in your hand. So I, I think at that point in time, I, I was I was frustrated, but also telling in, myself in the back of my mind, like, OK, the, the light will click for him eventually. It, it's going to come on and he's going to start getting more snaps. And I think we were all kind of hoping that would occur the following week as K-State uh, makes a a rare road trip to a uh, at this point in time a p5 school going on the road to play miami at sun life pro player whatever the hell they were calling it back then stadium and this was a a miami team if we can recall there was a lot of big stories in the 2011 college football offseason obviously the, the biggest was jerry sandusky at penn state but not a close second was uh, nevin shapiro and the the Ponzi scheme artist that was implicated in recruiting violations and impermissible benefits for all for for many players that were brought into Miami during uh, the Randy Shannon era and also in into the beginning of the Al Golden era. So lots of questions about how good Miami was, but I think at that point uh, Miami actually entered that game. They were 13 point favorite, and they had just beaten uh, a ranked Ohio State team. So K-State's going on the road to square off against this Miami team. Nutter, uh, I'll, I'll ask you first and foremost, did you f- ever think that K-State, uh, just before ball gets kicked, did you feel at all confident that K-State could even hang with Miami uh, just th- with what we had seen the first couple of weeks? Um, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. I can find a reason we're going to lose just about any game ever. Um <laughs> I think Alex has alluded to it in a previous episode, but I, I'm I'm nervous playing KU every single year. Doesn't matter records, what we've done. So I was not feeling super great about this one, especially on the road. And justifiably so. Again, Miami coming up with a big win over Ohio State. Chakori Harris. Uh, and I, w- I was going to say that was a night. I remember that being a night game, not the K-State game, but the Ohio State-Miami game was a night game. Big crowd, big atmosphere. I remember Ja'Cory Harris being interviewed uh, in that one as well. Uh, and just to build up to it, y- you certainly didn't 
feel great about it from the Kansas State perspective, but uh, that's really pretty quickly put to rest. This is, this is a, a rain delay. I remember that. It starts off, we have a, a couple-hour rain delay down in, uh, in Miami, but things do get rolling a little bit later uh, than the originally projected kickstart time there. And Miami does strike first. Jake Wyclaw knocks in a field goal to put the, uh, the U up 3 nothing. Uh, but then we see K-State's ground game. And really, this kind of this was such a defining game in so many ways. The, the ground game really takes over for the Wildcats. And they start churning out huge chunk plays. And Clint, I remember so many little moments in this game. Is there anyone that really sticks out outside of the big play, obviously at the very, very end, any particular plays offensively that stick out? Because I think we were all surprised to see K-State gash Miami the way that they did. The Colin Klein play that always stands out to me, not just in this game, but just when I think about Colin Klein, we were backed up close to our own end zone. I think it was second and 29 after a few, uh, there was a tackle for loss and a few penalties and uh, Colin Klein in that offensive line just nonchalantly runs it up the middle like they've done it a million times, takes some two plays to easily get a first down, doesn't look like it's a big deal at all, don't even need to pass. That's the first game that I can remember where Colin Klein was just covered in blood all over his arms, which would become a pretty ordinary thing to see for the next two years. The guy just took a beating and kept on going. You can blame it was, Oh, go ahead, Alex. I was going to say, you could blame that baseball infield for all that blood, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that that turf was nasty, too. That, it, just, it, it, it didn't look clean just watching that game. That was just a rough one. to, to I'm sure from the player perspective, they were probably having a rough go of it. But K-State's offense, again, grinding out yards on the ground. K-State ends up racking up 265 rushing yards. Colin Klein has a... A couple of keeper touchdowns. Tyler Lockett scores his first touchdown as a Wildcat hauls in a 20-yard pass from Colin. K-State, uh, like I said, after getting down 3 nothing, rails off 14 in a row to get up 14-3 to heading into halftime. And I think at this point, it's I think we've kind of put to rest whether or not this team can hang. I think we learned at this point in time that this team was more than capable of hanging with teams that might have a little bit more in the talent department. Now, uh, this does go seesaw back and forth in the third quarter. Miami scores on a touchdown pass from Corey Harris to Tommy Streeter to make it 14 to 10. But Cats come right back on the next possession. And Travis Tannehill has a three-yard touchdown catch from Colin Klein. And I'm sure, again, every person, as you guys said, every ESPN analyst is Oh, it's the Tim Tebow right there. And yep, a little jump pass touchdown for Travis Tannehill. Uh, shout out to Aletha for him. And then Miami, though, ultimately does take uh, the lead uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. We get we see the U uh, rip off Lamar Miller, uh, rip off a 59 yard touchdown to pull the Canes to within 21 to 17. And then Travis Benjamin hauls in a 34 yard touchdown reception. Uh, from Ja'Cory Harris. So Miami's up now 24 to 21. And I, at this point, I, I was a little disheartened, but in the same breath, I was thinking to myself, okay, this, this team has acquitted itself quite nicely in a game where I, I frankly did not think that they were going to keep it to within 10 points. But uh, at this point, I, I'm, I'm having that doubt start to seep into my head that whether or not this team can come back, because again, K-State really didn't 
moved the ball particularly well through the air in this game, threw the ball 18 times, but only uh, amounted to 133 yards in the passing game. So that being, and also some very, very fortuitous bounces. Cats have four fumbles in this one. They do not lose a single one. And ultimately, the uh, the Wildcats do put together a drive, though. Uh, John Hubert punches in the go-ahead score to make it 24-28 to with 10 minutes left in the game. Now, at this point, I- I'm getting a little anxious just with the way that Miami, after only scoring three in that first, uh, first 30 minutes, they've ripped off 21 points in the second half. I'm a little nervous about whether or not K-State's defense is going to be able to hold up and keep them out of the end zone and finish this one off. But... Alex, that is exactly what happens, and, and really probably one of the most iconic moments of the Snyder 2-0 era. We see Miami get right down in the red zone, but K-State bows up in a big way. Right. You get a you get a pass interference in the end zone after they're kind of creeping in close to the goal line, and I was thinking, that's it, game over. Pass interference, it goes to the two-yard line, I believe, and then we just watch probably – probably the best goal line stand in K-State football history that I can think of, at least in the, you know, the modern era. Um, And Trey Walker comes up huge with um, goal line stand on fourth down, which was just a weird play that Miami tried to run. Uh, They get an assist from the line judge who gives them a touchdown. And I actually was not watching this game because I was down at in uh, Southern Kansas at an estate sale for my wife's grandparents. And I didn't have any good phone reception. So I'm following this on my phone. And since that dude called that obvious goal line stand a touchdown, I thought we lost the game. It took quite a, quite a bit for them to uh, update the, the, uh, the ticker on ESPN. So (laughs) obviously I went back and and rewatched the entire game at home uh, after that. So but yeah, I was I was refreshing my phone just trying to get updates, and I thought we lost the game, but luckily we did not. <laughs> a a huge win, um, a huge sigh of relief at the end of that one, and, and seeing Trey Walker make that play was it, it was really amazing to watch it all happen and just to see the defense bow up the way that it did at the goal line uh, again, the way Miami had diced up K State in particular in the passing game in the second half. I was very skeptical about whether or not this group would have been able to hold on. But fortunately, they end up doing just that. They pick up a road non-con win, uh, what seems like the first time in forever for this team. Uh, And I just remember so many bad memories from from the Ron Prince, not just the Ron Prince, but the early uh, the first couple of years of Snyder 2-0 where. The Cats lost at UCLA, Ron Prince team lost at Louisville, lost at Auburn, lost at Fresno. It just seemed like any non-con game that was happening on the road, you, you kind of knew the outcome was foretold there. So it was just great to see this team come through. John Hubert has, I know we talked about this game really kind of being a coming out party for Colin, uh, not a particularly big game in the running department for him as 22 carries 93 yards very solid line there uh hits 66 percent of his throws has a couple touchdowns no picks but john huber really kind of the unsung hero in this game for k-state and it's hard to say that when i'm looking at his line but he racks up 166 yards uh averages just under 10 yards a pop and has again the go-ahead touchdown so 
some guys starting to emerge here. Bryce Brown, uh, the aforementioned Bryce Brown, again, kind of Olays on a block. And then we really don't ever hear from Bryce again. This is kind of the moment where he nutter, if, if memory serves, it's the week leading up to Baylor where we find out that Bryce is just kind of MIA, has not been at practice and is just off campus. And then it just kind of all hits us like, oh man, this this guy, <laughs> this guy's not coming back. That's right. It, uh, unfortunately for as much fanfare and as much hype as that guy had coming in, it, it was over pretty much the minute it started. Uh, like you said, there was a, a whiffed block in the Miami game that I believe left, left Colin out to dry and, uh, he was pulled and I don't believe ever saw the field again. Um, as one of you just reminded me, you know, before we, before we started filming, um, I believe the next we heard of him, he was spotted back in Knoxville and, uh, then I don't believe we heard from him again until uh, the draft in April. So, um, yep, very, very unceremonious. I think you'll you'll be hard-pressed to find more excitement leading in, in more disappointment than what we saw than what we saw with Bryce. But big credit to him for extending the draft streak. So thank you, Bryce, on that front. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's talk about that because – I, I don't count that. He wasn't even on the team. Do you guys really count that as continuing the draft streak? I mean, his last carry was was with K-State, so I think you kind uh, of I was, was going to say it is it is a BS technicality thing, but at the end of the day, like the last school at which he was eligible and played for was K-State. So I, I don't know how, wh- what else you would credit that to. If you, would, you, w- you certainly wouldn't go back to Tennessee unless, like I said, there's some wonky rule that says it has to be a full year of – of eligibility or a certain number of snaps. So like I said, man, Hey, take it however you can get it. <laughs> I'm sure he's not crediting K state when he got to the NFL and they were listing off what college they went to. Doubt it. I imagine that's a, uh, that's the high school when he, <laughs> when he right. gives his intro. he <laughs> has got a ring in 04, even though he got traded halfway through the year. So still counts. Uh, I wanted to say about this game is let's go back. The, the outlook on the season after beating Eastern Kentucky by a field goal and thinking, well, we might suck this year to beating Miami on the road and having Colin Klein like over, you know, in one game become this like uh, media darling, his coming out party that that's quite a dramatic shift to the season. And it kind of just set a path for, yeah, this is going to be a fun. This is going to be a fun year, I think. It absolutely did set the table for that. And then projecting forward, you see that, okay, you're 3-0. and And now you look at your schedule, Baylor at home, Mizzou at home, at Tech. At that point, I was still very skeptical about this team beating Tech and then KU on the road. So you look forward and you're like, man, like this group might have a pretty good chance to make it out of this stretch, maybe six and one, maybe seven and zero. Oh, who knows? And and we obviously all know what happens on that front. But I think we'll dive next into kind of the second leg of the season here, where the Wildcats open up a home Big 12 opener. Stop the press as K-State gets to host a Big 12 home game to open up conference play. Uh, never happens, as everybody knows, and we'll bitch about on Twitter from now until the end of time. So the Wildcats. Was what's that? So I knew something looked off about this schedule. <laughs> <laughs> the Wildcats open up hosting the Baylor Bears. And again, this is this is when Art 
and company are starting to get things rolling. Robert Griffin has just been tearing everybody up and at this point in time has more touchdowns to his name than he has incompletions. He is an absurd talent. And I had, and I was going back and looking at um, Phil Steele's preseason all conference list. So quarterback first team, big 12, you would think he's maybe not first team, but certainly second team. Nope. Landry Jones, first team, second team, Brandon Whedon, Robert Griffin, future Heisman Trophy winner, third team, all Big 12, as projected by Phil Steele. So don't be selling me this bill of goods about the most accurate magazine in college football, Phil. Uh, Robert Griffin torches K-State in this game. And I and even now, though, looking back at this, I look at the box score and I, I, I will add up the quarter by quarter score. And to me, it's still does not make sense that K-State found a way to win this game. Uh, there were some pretty critical moments uh, in the early part of the fourth quarter where Baylor had the ball in, in plus territory and elected to punt. I remember very vividly they had a chance really to hit a knockout shot on K-State and they opted to punt. And then the Wildcats just kind of very methodically and have, haven't really endured the knockout blow yet, very methodically worked their way back into the contest and then we have a huge play and and what most people have dubbed the loudest moment of the Snyder 2-0 era, Clint, uh, with Arthur Brown making a huge play late in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it all started with Ray Kibble surging up the middle and uh, getting RG3 off balance so that uh, Arthur Brown can come up with that pick that he so tried so hard to drop that was <laughs> he bobbled it about six That's or seven times before he finally points. came down with it uh you know i kind of um went back and tried to come up with a compilation of arthur brown plays in this game because it is such a memorable game for him and really he didn't get started until the second half he didn't do a whole lot the first half um it didn't help that we, uh rg3 was just throwing it up to kendall Wright, and he was making amazing plays left and right um, but yeah, once Arthur Brown got going, he was a huge factor in this game. You know, the, those two, uh, the touchdown in the back of the end zone and then the tippy toe touchdown down the sideline. Those are two of the best football plays I've ever seen in person. For sure. It's a credit to them. They, you know, yeah, the deep, you know, giving up big plays like that, but that's just, you got to tip your cap to them. And, uh, that just made the win all, all the more, uh, more sweet to get that win because it, it kind of just felt like, like how, how do you beat these guys? You know, like they're making insane plays, but. It's probably worth calling out too, that obviously the, the, the Brown pick is what everyone's going to remember. You know, RG three finally has a blemish that season. Um, but that sets K-State up in, in the red zone. They start that drive in the red zone and can only manage three points out of it. So Baylor actually gets the ball back with a chance to go regain the lead. Um, and then uh, Brown makes, uh, in my opinion, maybe an even bigger play than the pick. Uh, RG3 breaks for the sideline. And it, I, I, if I remember right, uh, Arthur was kind of back in a spy roll on that play and also broke for the sideline and managed to run him down. And I'd like to pose this question to you guys. Is there another linebacker that you can think of with that K-State's had with that kind of straight line speed to make that play to to keep that lead alive? No. Nope. That's that was the most impressive play of the game for me, like from Brown. 
the pick was the dude threw it at his chest and he almost dropped it. It was a huge play to give us the lead. But that that play was because I think everyone saw once he broke for the sideline, you're thinking, shit, he's got a first down, you know. And then Brown just matches him, and I think he stopped him for no gain on that play, or maybe he might have kept him in bounds too. I can't remember. Did he keep him in bounds? I don't know if he kept him in bounds, but I know it was uh, maybe he got him right. He got him in play. I remember got him right on the chalk, (laughs) and they they wound the clock for us. Thankfully, (laughs) once he started going and pulled pulled that ball down, it's like there's a first down. Chains are moving, whatever, and then it set up. uh, What was it? Fourth down. Uh, deflected pass by Jordan, Jordan Volker. Volker. Yeah, Jordan Volker. That's right. I, so. I very vividly remember um, on the other end, Adam Davis jumps, but is still on side. And Art Bryles is losing his shit on the sideline, begging for an offside call on that after, after the play unfolds and Belker knocks the ball down. down and everything. On the fourth down play? Yeah. That was the play, and this is really the motif of 2011 as a collective. This team was in nine one-score games and came out on top in eight of them, this Baylor contest obviously being one of those, and it's damn near impossible to replicate that kind of success and come out on top in, in that many close competitive games, but the bigger point to take away in all this is that you could really rely on any and all units to make their plays when it got to net cut in time. And that's what we see in this game in particular. It's not a, a, a standout performance by any one particular unit, but we do see contributions from all units, special teams recovers a kickoff uh, to set offense up with short field. Anthony Cantelli knocks in his field goals and the go ahead field goal late in the fourth quarter, obviously defense, not a banner day. Again, it's hard to say that when you have Robert Griffin thrown for five touchdowns, Kendall Wright hauling in three of those TDs and going for over 200 yards. Uh, but they end up bowing up at the exact right moments. And, and, and to that point, Baylor was four for four in the contest on fourth downs up until that final fourth down play where Jordan Volker ends up knocking down the pass. So a very aggressive Art Bryles team. It's what we really came to know, know uh, as we got deeper into his tenure as Baylor's head coach. But K-State does manage to, to win the day here at the end at the end of all of this and come out on top 36-35 to advance to 4-0 on the season. They topped the 15th ranked Baylor Bears, which leads into the final Big 12 showdown between the Wildcats and the Mizzou Tigers. Again, a longstanding relationship with these particular programs going back to the days of the Big Six. And nothing particularly memorable about this game. K-State gets an INT. Ty Zim gets a pick on the first possession of the game, the first play of the game uh, for the Kansas State defense. And the, and the Wildcat defense is really the story in this contest. They pretty much sit on Mizzou through the first three quarters, but the Tigers get a couple of late touchdowns to make this a little bit more stressful at the end. But uh, again, to kind of pivot back to that point that we just made about whatever unit it was that needed to come through when it got to crunch time, that unit came through. And uh, this was no exception where the offense 
gets the ball late in the fourth quarter, needs to grind out the last five minutes of the game, and they're able to do so. A couple of key plays late in the contest, a boot rollout, Colin Klein finds Andre McDonald uh, to for a key first down to keep clock churning. K-State does get down pretty deep in the red zone. Uh, when this game, the outcome's already been decided, was really hoping that Bill would needle the Tigers on their way out the door to the SEC and get one more touchdown on them, but he uh, is a classier person than I am. He holds off on that late touchdown, and K-State gets a, a workmanlike 24-17 win. Yeah, Colin Klein didn't have a great game this uh, week, which is why it was such a luxury to have a guy like uh, John Hubert to pick up the slack uh, he was proven to be a very valuable player at this point in the season. Yep. Hubert has a big day rushing 26 carries for 126 yards. Colin, uh, and again, pretty familiar territory for him carrying the ball 24 times. But as you said, Clint, not a whole lot happening on offense, uh, this day for K state, but they do manage to hold off a late rally by Missouri and, and, uh, take out, uh, knock out the Tigers to win this one 24 to 17 in K-State's first win over Mizzou uh, since Snyder's first last game uh, <laughs> when K-State beat them <laughs> back on uh, when Brad Smith and Gary Pinkle and that whole squad there. So uh, K-State tops Mizzou for the first time since 2005. Cats now 5-0 and on the young season, making the trip down to Lubbock. And uh Clint, I know you and I, we, we've talked about this one before. Th- this it was an extremely fun game, a stressful game. Again, this is another one where one play goes another way and the the, the outcome in this one is, is totally different. Uh, but K-State picks up a huge win over Texas Tech, the Wildcats' first victory in Lubbock since 1997. First win over Tech since 2000. They come out on top 41 to 34. And, and I'll put it to you, Alex. What what do you remember about this particular game? Uh, any plays that stand out? I, I know defensively, the, despite giving up 34, I felt like I remember a lot more from that unit than I do from the offense. Right. I remember the uh, the pick six to open the game. Uh, Tyler Lockett's kickoff return. But yeah, the game was kind of a blur. It was one of those Texas Tech was getting their points and their yards, but they had four turnovers. Uh, I think it was, was it Malone or Chapman maybe had like a Malone. late on a, on the sideline? Oh, oh it Dave was Garrett. all five, eight of David nope. Garrett. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A pretty, you know, it was just one of those games. It was so back and forth and they probably should have beat us, you know, with, with their firepower. Um, and they were a pretty decent team that year. I think was this Tuberville's only year there? Or how many years was he there? A couple? I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. So, uh, no, Tuberville, uh, he, this was, Leach's last year was 09. So I believe this would have been Tubbs' second season, if memory serves. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't there long. Anyways, yeah, I don't remember a whole lot. The defense gave up 34 points and what, over... 580 yards, but four turnovers, and it was just one of those games that you you felt pretty good about. I'm, I mean, even me being a, a pessimist all the time, this was a nerve-wracking game, but I think I felt pretty good about it most of the game, so... 
Yeah, we haven't really talked about Tom Hayes uh, coming to the K-State coaching staff this year and kind of implementing that bend but don't break system. I mean, we give up 460 passing yards in this game, but we also get three interceptions, including that uh, pretty memorable David Garrett one you were talking about where the quarterback was actually trying to throw it away out of bounds. And David Garrett's able to snag it and pull it back inbounds. I mean, this team as far as ranking goes, was a terrible pass defense, but they were opportunistic. They uh, they picked their spots. We had the the defensive backs, especially cornerback, to be able to uh, play off. And, uh, you know, if you're going to throw a comeback route on Nigel Malone, he's going to pick you off 95% of the time. Alan Chapman was pretty solid. David Garrett, we all know what he could do. Nigel was the one who really uh, set the stage for this game uh, or for for the cats in this game had the pick six on the opening possession. And and to everybody's larger point is again, Texas tech pretty much did what Texas tech always does. They, they chuck it around the yard and you you never K state did just enough. Uh, Their first touchdown was a pick six. Their second touchdown was Tyler Lockett making his uh, presence felt in the kick return game, 100 yards to the house there. So K-State. Uh, that was the return where he pretty much ran out of gas and fell into the end. Yeah, right at the goal right line. Hand. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I looked it up. Tommy Tuberville, 2010-11-12. And I thought they were good this year because they went on to knock off Oklahoma. But then they finished 5-7. and seven, So... And ninth in the Big 12. So maybe not so good. But I want to point out kind of a statistical <laughs> anomaly, I guess. You know, we, we just re- alluded to there was a, a special teams and a defensive touchdown against Tech that year. That actually started a streak of uh, seven out of nine games where we had at least one not, one non-offensive touchdown against Texas Tech. Uh, that, that streak came to an end this past year. But uh, just it, it's almost something that you came to expect against Texas Tech. We were going to block a kick and run it in. We were going to pick off whatever uh, Graham Harrell descendant they put out there. You know, it, we, some way or another, we were going to punch one in, not on offense. But, uh, yeah, I've always found that interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't for all the embarrassing ways we've beaten Iowa State the last decade, some of those Texas Tech games are, you know, getting up there in, in weirdness. Yeah, couldn't happen to a better bunch of assholes. So <laughs> cats go to six and zero on the season. The seventeenth ranked K State Wildcats. Now uh, you got to go back a ways to find the last time K State started this hot, and and the streak continues uh, going into the next week uh, against the Kansas Jayhawks. This is this is a very poor Turner Gill team, and his his tenure in Lawrence is not going to last a whole lot longer beyond this season. So K-State hammers KU 59-21, another big win. I remember being really irked about this because the way that the schedule shook out, K-State had to go to Lawrence in 2010 and also had to go in 2011. Uh, But again, pretty quickly got over that when K-State got out 21 to nothing in this game and just coasted uh, again. Colin Klein runs all over the Jayhawks. He ends up racking up four rushing touchdowns. John Hubert with another nice game, both of them coming up just short of a hundred on the ground. But uh, again, K-State starting to really assert itself as the 
the preeminent program in the state. And it's really kind of remarkable how quickly that took effect. And I think you have to, you, you really have to chalk that up a lot more to KU, not to discredit K-State, but I think you have to chalk that up more so to KU's very rapid descent as opposed to K-State's ascent. That's just my thought there. But in any event, it's always fun to beat KU. <laughs> Do you guys remember the uh, the bookend of halftime Tyler Lockett plays in that game? I do. Yeah. I remember the return after half. I'm not sure what happened before. So they hit Lockett on a big play on a like a like a go seam route before halftime, and it looked like if he just kept running, he was going to score. But he had kind of guys coming in from both sides, and he just dropped to save time so he could get a field goal off. You know, and then I think he said it after the game, like his teammates were giving him shit for not scoring on that play. So he's like, well, I guess I'll just have to go score after halftime and <laughs> return the open the second half kickoff for a touchdown. Yep, this one never, ever in doubt. And, and just again, so refreshing to see after those those beatdowns that K-State endured at the hands of the Kansas Jayhawks and, and the Mark Mangino coach Kansas Jayhawks several years prior. Uh, so K-State has certainly turned the tables in the state and the Wildcats now off to a 7-0 and start. You have to go all the way back to the 1999 season for the last time K-State had started the year 7-0. and And this brings us to a not-so-fun moment in 2011 and really one of the few moments that wasn't fun <laughs> this season. Uh, the Wildcats, and I felt like, God, we did this just seemingly every year we hosted Oklahoma. I felt like they were our homecoming opponent. Don't know why we wanted to do that, but this was a very good OU team. Uh, Alex, you did touch on it. They did drop that game to Texas Tech. So people thinking, is OU vulnerable? K-State for real, contender, pretender. But Oklahoma's very sharp, very focused in this game. They jump out 14 to nothing. K-State does rally, though, uh, midway through the second quarter uh, after getting down by a couple of scores. They ultimately they end up taking a 17 to 14 lead, but it's it's very short-lived. This is a, a an electric Oklahoma offense again Landry Jones throws for 505 yards lots of weaponry in this game for the Sooners uh if you think about uh Ryan Broyles Kenny Stills Jazz Reynolds Roy Finch out of the backfield I mean just names up and down the roster on this OU team and and Clint I'll, I'll ask you here this this always seemed like uh, this was always a very big game for Snyder and, and Snyder teams in big games didn't typically rise to the stage. And, and even though this this was kind of this was a certainly a gut punch losing 58 to 17 at home and just having Oklahoma really do whatever they want, I think we start to see the the fortitude in this team and the strength and resolve of this team come through. And I, I don't really feel like the, the 41 point outcome really altered anything for K-State in the season. It really just kind of blip on the radar and kept on going. Yeah, this team knew that they were good and they weren't going to let um, a game like this slow them down for too long. Obviously they um, aren't able to pull out the victory the next week also, but that, that was game against Oklahoma State was one of the best games I've ever seen. Very competitive. Uh, this Oklahoma game, uh, you know, clearly K-State wasn't quite there yet when it comes to playing the top teams in the nation. Um, uh, but they, they had the resolve and they were going to they were going to push through. 
And and to your point, uh, leading into the next week, you, you know, no rest for the weary. K-State has to then go on the road. Uh, so they just fall to, uh, at that point, K-State was number 10 in the country. Oklahoma was 11. So the Cats dropped that decision again, 58 to 17. And we're on to the next game against, at this point in time, an 8-0 Oklahoma State squad that is ranked third in the country. Uh, obviously a very controversial ending to the season for the Oklahoma State Cowboys in terms of how things shook out with the BCS rankings and whatnot. But this is a game uh, that ultimately ends up pitting what a lot of people later would say end up being the two best teams in the Big 12 against one another. And and this is just a game that is beyond entertaining start to finish. K-State really does a remarkable job, like you said, Clint, of just bouncing back, putting that one game behind them. And they they go toe to toe with this with this very prolific Oklahoma State offense again. Brandon Whedon, we hit on that a little bit earlier. There's plenty of plenty of guys who can make plays for this Oklahoma State team. Joseph Randall, Justin Blackman, uh, even guys like Tracy Moore, Isaiah Anderson. They they had some dudes who could make plays, particularly in the passing game. But uh, Nutter, I'll ask you um, on this game. I don't know if I've ever felt so gratified after a loss, but I, this was a game that even with the way that it all shook out, I I was still, I hate sounding like an Iowa state fan when I say this, but I was so proud (laughs) of the way I was so proud of the way that they, they bounced back and competed against this team that I I think what a lot of us were nervous about was the snowball effect. You know, you lose it, you have a huge game, a huge environment in Manhattan and you just totally eat the curb against Oklahoma. How are you going to respond against O state on the road the following week? But they showed out well. Yeah, it, um, I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head and it, it almost looked like that's where we were headed was that snowball effect. Oklahoma state jumped out 14, nothing pretty early in this one, but Kind of like K-State did against OU the week before, they actually uh, they rallied and rattled off 24 in a row to go up uh, two scores. And uh, it, it really was just, I mean, truly back and forth the entire rest of the way. Um, there was a, uh, I, I know Alan Chapman kind of had Oklahoma State's number his entire career. He had a pretty big pick six in this one. Uh, Tyler just narrowly missed. Seems like every time Tyler broke one to the house, he had a guy on his heels. You know, he, he never just walked into the end zone. He broke another kick down the sideline where he got run down at the last possible minute. Um, I mean, you, you guys have, you guys have all said it. Uh, it really was just an entertaining game, obviously really disappointing the way it shook out. You know, if, if, if the, if the cats have one more timeout in their pocket, who knows how that, who knows how that, uh, that final play shakes out. I remember Bill and Colin both saying, in a press conference later in the year, they knew what they wanted to check into. They just didn't have time to do it on that last play. But uh, to answer your original question, though, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there were tons, like truly tons of positives to take away from this one. And I do have to say, I uh, I said I was working down in Oklahoma at the time. I had the pleasure of covering this one for the paper I was writing for at the time. And uh, the game ends, and I'm sitting there writing my gamer. And the, the press box, the press box starts to kind of bounce up and down a little bit. And having never been in that stadium before, I think it's fans just leaving underneath us. Like I figure it's just kind of the typical, you know, the movement of a crowd kind of moving out of the building. And I look up and local reporters who are there every week are just complete wide eyed with just terrified looks on their face. And I realize, holy shit, we're looking at an earthquake right now. Um, so if not, obviously one of the most entertaining games I've ever seen, uh, 
followed immediately by still the only earthquake I've ever experienced. Uh, we get a lot of those here on the plains, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, the infamous, and I'm sure <laughs> college football Twitter has put out the Kirk Herbstreet meme more times than I can count. But uh, this, I I... I just love this game so much, despite the outcome, the big stage, you got Brent Musburger, it's a night game and, and it really, and with K-State bouncing back the way that they did when they, and when they actually started putting points on the board and you start feeling like, okay, this is gonna, this is gonna go a little bit differently than we saw the previous week. And K-State was able to hang with Oklahoma State right down to the wire. Uh, Now, I, I will maintain till the day I die. And like you said, Nutter, I think that they were absolutely, if they found a way to get that touchdown uh, at the on the last play in regulation, they were absolutely going to go for two. There's no sense in trying to push that one into, <laughs> into an extra session after uh, and a big loss that K-State sustained in this game. Tyler Lockett ends up going out with the, if I remember correctly, it was lacerated kidney was what I remember hearing. Uh, so, K-State loses one of its big playmakers in the passing game here. And, and that that was honestly after his, he had a big kick return to set K-State up with that, um, with a short field that they ultimately end up converting into a touchdown. But Tyler Lockett ends up going out after that. So you, you're wondering, like, who who's the ball going to be going to here? Harper, Chris Harper actually does end up having a pretty solid game in this, uh, in this contest. He has five catches for 55 yards. Tremaine Thompson, native of Jinx, Oklahoma, comes back to his home state has six catches for 71 yards probably one of the better passing outings out of Colin in this one so again I I hate you know and everybody talks about losers mentality and all this bullshit like this is this is a game where you you needed to see this to feel like this group could actually put something together going down the home stretch if they if they got socked in the face again then I think we were all kind of going to be starting to think okay well this is probably going to be a season that probably ends in eight and four maybe you know maybe maybe seven and five if they can't get it together but k-state does acquit itself well um in this one they do fall 52 to 45 to oklahoma state so the cats now seven and two um not mathematically removed from big 12 title contention at this point but certainly up against it with the way that everything ends up shaking out uh this leads us to Again, <laughs> we have so many just memorable games and so many things that you can talk about. I don't really remember any plays in this game. Uh, the 53 to 50 quadruple overtime win over Texas A&M. I know this is going to be a game, and I actually did attend this one. This is going to be a game that every K-State fan from now until you know 2080 claims that he or she attends. Uh, and, and Alex, I don't know what you took away from this game. This This was just like... This is kind of what we just came to know. This is a group that competes. They they every game is seemingly close. They weren't quite good enough. Didn't I won't say they didn't have a killer instinct, but they didn't really have the the necessary playmakers and the necessary proficiency in the passing game to really blow games up and and separate from teams. But I felt like this was just another game, and it, and it just kind of runs together with the rest of the season. Did you feel that way? For me, this game, uh, as much as my memory is not the greatest, I remember so many plays about this game, probably probably more vividly than most games. Um, but just kind of in the general theme of it, you know, we were down 10 in the fourth quarter um, and we come back and tie it. 
and just, you know, four overtimes and Klein busting up runs and Ryan Tannehill making plays. I think there was a fourth down in overtime where he just kind of like faded and faded to the right and back and just threw it up there for a touchdown. And then the ensuing two-point conversion, I believe, was uh, just off of his receiver's fingertips. That would have won the game, I believe. But this, I, I have so many good memories about this game and, and that fight of uh, losing two in a row, coming back and playing a really good team and uh, being down late and not giving up and just a, just a fun, fun game to be at. Anybody else have the privilege of attending this one? I was not at the game. I remember watching it on at on TV at a friend's house and uh, just completely losing it, losing my mind. <laughs> this game was exhausting, but in the best kind of way. Uh, I think my memories mostly start at overtime because that was like an entire quarter or half. Um, I do remember one play earlier in the game where Colin Klein was able to spin out of a sack rollout and find Travis Tannehill uh, for down into the red zone, which I just remember thinking it's so nice having a quarterback with some pocket presence after having to, you know, <laughs> Carson, Carson Kaufman wasn't terrible, but he did not have great pocket presence. Um, he wasn't bouncing off of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, that overtime was wild. Thought we had it won so many times. And if we weren't able to pull that one out after the heartbreak against Oklahoma State, that would have been really rough. Alex, you mentioned uh, having to follow that that Miami game on your phone. I'll do you one better. I actually had to follow this one on my phone. Um, I was covering a high school basketball showcase, so I was not where I could watch it, and I obviously wasn't where I could listen to it. And if I remember right, this game kind of broke the ESPN app because there were so many lead changes and this and that and the other. And it's like ESPN didn't like overtime. Their app format did not like overtime. So the score was constantly wrong. It would give a field goal to the wrong team. You know, this, that, and the other thing. I mean, obviously, what goes down is one of the most, uh, in this season, like even in this season, what goes down is one of the most stressful games of the year. I'm following with no semblance of even what I'm seeing is actually right. So, um, yeah, that was definitely a fun one to rewatch after the fact, but stressful as all hell to, to be going in blind and not actually knowing what was happening. Yeah. It's one of those games. It's like neither team was going to lose, but you know, someone's finally going to have to lose. And the other thing is, uh, this game and the Missouri game, just, you know, we went O for two on big 12 deserters the year before. And coming out and beating Missouri and AM with them leaving, walking out the door, that was a much better feeling than the year before against Good call. Colorado and Nebraska. So great call. Yeah, very noteworthy there. K State, <laughs> just so many things about this game. And again, it's one of those you just kind of feel like you're you're in this haze. It just it's like every like every play is so impactful and so seismic in, in terms of how the game ended up shaking out and whatnot and and, and wildcats do prevail in the fourth overtime a, a big pass interference call k-state threw a little corner out to uh Tremaine thompson who gets held up in the secondary and then the the play we became we, we came to know all too well uh klein smash i felt like we just would anytime k-state got inside 
anytime really inside about the five yard line, you would try that once, see if you got, if you got two or three yards, probably give it another crack and see what happens from there. But Colin Klein ends up punching in the game winning touchdown in that fourth session to give K-State the 53 to 50 victory. Third straight win over the Texas A&M Aggies. Nice to drill them, as you guys said, on the way out the door. And this sets up K-State with a final road trip of the 2011 campaign, a trip to the Lone Star State to take on the Texas Longhorns. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this game because holy shit, there is nothing to talk about. K-State only has 121 yards of offense. They're outgained by almost 200 yards uh, by a, a decent Texas team, but not a great Texas team. Their quarterback by Case McCoy and David Ash. It's it's really not one of Mac's better squads, but that UT defense will must champ coach and waiting UT defense uh, pretty much puts the clamps down on K-State start to finish in this one. The Wildcats only have 38 yards on the ground, 83 yards through the air. Um, and, and this was another one I, I did the board for uh, at K-Man and they would always cover the, the post-game presser with Snyder and every answer, every question he's getting, every answer is just five words or less. We didn't do great, bad how the offense perform horrible. Like just he, he's not given the media anything when they're asking about how the team performed. Uh, again, you would have thought that they lost by four touchdowns. And, 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 you know, honestly, and on most nights when you only have 121 yards of offense, you probably are in that in contention to lose that game by about 20, uh, 20 to 28 points. But K-State does find a way to win in this one. Anybody remember anything about this game? I remember a beautiful backside shoulder throw to Chris. Oh, I feel like we got a couple stories here. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> oh, that's pretty much the uh, the little back shoulder to Chris Harper before halftime is what I was going to say. But I believe, I could be wrong on this, I believe that was preceded by a muffed punt that we um, – kind of got the benefit of a bad call on because they called texas for uh what is it the the halo rule or whatever you know like uh interfering with the opportunity to catch the ball um i remember that being a bad call that went in our favor and we punched it in right before halftime and then just kind of held on to our seats the rest of the game yeah colin Klein did not play well that game but uh, that drive before halftime was, uh, you know, it was a good drive. Big-time players make big-time plays. Uh, he hit Sheldon Smith where his entire body was out of bounds, but he was able to drag that toe in. I was watching that game earlier today, and the announcers were just a couple of jackasses. <laughs> there's, oh, there's no ways in. There's no ways in. And then the refs don't even review it. Um <laughs> I will say that the the final uh, play that Texas had, my boy Adam Davis comes up with a sack to yeah, that's, uh, preserve the game. Deesky. That, that's actually what I was gonna I was gonna mention that as well. Uh, so we we get the ball back. Uh, Texas had cut. We were up seventeen to three, and Texas had scored ten in a row, and. We go three and out, and they get a decent enough punt return that they're actually starting to drive right at midfield. And you just mentioned that sack by Adam Davis. That drive actually ended up going backwards when they when they turned it over on down. So 
you know, obviously I know we, we've kind of alluded to it here, but like just such a flip of the switch on the defensive side of the ball this year. Like these are not plays they're making the year before. So, I mean, obviously in a game when the offense couldn't get it going, the defense really, really picked things up. And that's, I mean, at that point, you know, aside from the, from the Arthur Brown plays against Baylor, you know, you're, you're looking at probably the biggest defensive play of the year right there. This unit really is statistically, again, not not great in terms of yards given up, in terms of points. But, man, uh, like you said, Clint, uh, opportunistic was the big word. And it wasn't just that, but this was like, we need a play. This is, you know, this is two outs. We got a man at second and we need somebody to get a knock here to get this guy around. And they always found a way to get that big play at the most critical junctures of games. And that that was very much what happened in this contest as well. K-State finds that they found a way. This there, There's nothing else you can really say about this game. They just found a way uh, without generating much of anything on the offensive side of the ball. K-State wins 17-13. to 13. They toppled Texas now for the fourth consecutive time. So that sets K-State up at 9-2. and two. The Wildcats are... 16th in the country heading into the final game of the season where they will host the Iowa State Cyclones. And this was first time we have an on-campus game between these two since the 2008 season, the final uh, Ron Prince game. I, and again, this is just another one of those games. It, it does just, it, they, it's almost like there was a template. You just kind of knew like, okay, well, it's going to be one score and who's going to make a play at the end. And that this is very much what happens. Iowa State strikes first in this one, but I, I do remember Colin Klein hitting Tremaine Thompson down the seam, a little skinny post there uh, to pull level at uh, seven to seven. But this was, this was Iowa State too after the clones cocked up the Big 12's chances to get into the Big 12 championship. This was after ISU had beat Oklahoma State just, uh, it wasn't the week prior, two weeks prior, Iowa State ended up upsetting at that point in time what was 10-1 and one and second-ranked Oklahoma State. So this was this was a good, uh, I, I won't say a good, but by Paul Rhodes standards, this was a good team for ISU. Uh, but K-State found a way to get the better of them on this day. And I, I don't know... Where does this one rank for you guys in terms of hilarity with the Iowa State victories? This one seems pretty low to me. This was just a kind of a ho-hummer just with the way it all shook out. And it was one where I never really felt like it was in doubt. Yeah, it was kind of like Farmageddon 2-0, really. Like, I mean, like you said, it almost followed that exact same blueprint. Like, the only real notable play is, uh, you know, John Hubert saying, get off my jock there on the sideline. Um other than that, you know, pretty much it was back and forth, pretty, pretty good game overall, but like not a ton to write home about in terms of like, you know, fireworks. So, yeah, I mean, especially, you know, so knowing some of the hilarious ass endings we would see in this series over the next several years. I mean, I, w- I would rate it pretty low on that totem pole. When an interception by Raphael Guidry that pretty much seals the game isn't even brought up on weird endings in a series, then... <laughs> Yeah, this is the game where all the players were wearing that black weather gear under their uh, uniforms. It always stands out. Anytime I see a highlight from this, I know exactly what game it was. Uh, Yeah, the digital camo power cats decals on that in that game. 
Oh, I think, did it? I think I could be wrong, but I believe we um, it was like one of the small ventures to uh, a uniform change. It was just a power cat, but it was kind of like a digital camo pattern. So, I mean, you couldn't really tell unless you were probably five feet away from a player. Oh, but. Okay, yeah, I didn't remember that. No, but the part about this game that is hilarious to me, you mentioned that uh, uh, John Hubert stiff arm, which I would say is probably the best K-State stiff arm there was, even with uh, Jesse Ertz having quite a few in contention. Uh, The play before, uh, Hubert had gotten stuffed in the backfield by about three Iowa State players, and they all just kind of laid on him for several extra seconds. You could see him just like uh, talking junk in his ear. And so for him to be able to pull off that run on the very next play is just peak Iowa State. <laughs> Again, couldn't happen to a greater bunch of assholes there. I, <laughs> I I love that play so much. And again, Hubert, really underappreciated guy, and not just this season, but really throughout his his time at Kansas State. Uh, racks up 120, and this one goes for eight yards a pop, has the big go-ahead touchdown late in this game, and, and the Wildcats finish the year a very <laughs> unexpected and, and unprecedented 10-2. Uh, and two. So K-State back to double-digit victories. You have to go all the way back again. Uh, we're going back into the archives here to the 2003 Big 12 Championship squad, the last team to win double-digit games in a season. That team also had the benefit of five non-conference games as opposed to this team only playing three. So a a huge accomplishment for Snyder 2.0. And and again, so many statistical anomalies uh, that it's just really comical to talk about the Wildcats. I look, I looked it up uh, here uh, as far as yardage per game in conference play uh, minus 106, uh, which is the second worst in the Big 12, only behind the Kansas Jayhawks, which went two and ten that season. So, it's so remarkable. Uh, again, what we what we've said throughout the, this pod, when just talking about the season, how this team just always found a way at the exact right moment to make a play. And I know I, I want to briefly hit on this. So, we're all pretty familiar with K State rules always being made up at uh, very opportune times, uh, like being ranked fourth in the BCS, but not getting to go to a BCS game, winning 10 conference games in basketball and not getting to go to the NCAA tournament doing all. And and here we have another one of those uh, with the Virginia Tech Hokies losing their conference championship game, but they get the nod to go to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, And I don't know, how are you guys feeling about the slight there? And it's not that the Cotton Bowl is a bad bowl by any stretch, but it, more so than anything else, I, I just thought, man, that would be awesome. This is a, a BCS bowl game. That's obviously big time, but this is a venue K-State's not had a chance to play in before. That would have been another cool element to it. I didn't know how you guys felt about that at the end of the season. <laughs> uh <laughs> I think uh, it's hard to remember exactly. I think I was pretty upset because I really wanted that BCS game. Um, I think in hindsight, the one team that really got screwed that year was definitely Arkansas. You know, they might have been a top five team in the country, uh, but they were barred from the BCS because at that, you know, you couldn't have more than three teams or more than two teams uh, make a BCS game from one conference. In hindsight, I think 
I think there was a conversation about this on KSO just a few months ago. And without the emotions, I kind of looked back through it. And, um, you know, all every team was, I think, Tech's, or, uh, Virginia Tech, you know, they only had one regular season loss. Um, their schedule was weaker, but, you know, their second loss was to Clemson for a second time in a championship game. So I th- I'm pretty sure if that was us, we would probably be banging that drum like, you know, we only lost one game in the regular season, and then we lost to the same team again in the championship game. Uh, and then you just got to think about branding. You know, when it comes to bowls, they're going to pick who they think is going to bring them more fans and bring them more eyeballs to the TVs. And, uh, you know, like it or not, but Michigan and Virginia Tech is um, probably a better draw for any bowl game. But see, is 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 a land? This is another land grant school with a very small niche. It's not like Virginia Tech has a national following. That was the big thing that I was irked about. I was like, this this isn't Michael Vick. This is this is good Virginia Tech. But I feel like Virginia Tech over their heyday did a lot better job of marketing their program than we did, though. And Michael Vick was a big factor of that. But you know, even. Uh, who was the quarterback in that 11, 2011 year? Was that, um, was that memory Ty- serves? It was Lance Thomas. Lance Thomas. Oh, yeah, the, the big, the big talk. Big dude. Big, big dude. <laughs> I, I, you know, some of it's East Coast type stuff. You know, they might have more viewers just being in a more densely populated area. Um, but, you know, Beamer Ball is very similar to Snyder Ball, but. I feel like they probably had a better, slightly better uh, national brand than we did. So, and this is early on in Snyder 2.0 too. So you know, uh, other than 2011, K State football hasn't been relevant in college football since 2003. So, I think Virginia Tech had had a little bit of better staying power in that previous decade. I got to say, I was disappointed that, you know, that that Sugar Bowl bid went the other way, but I don't know that I ever expected it. And maybe that goes back to, you know, these these quote unquote K-State rules that have kind of been ingrained into my DNA at this point. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, while it was disappointing, you know, I think I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall and like, I know how this ends. I've seen this before. So. Clint not feeling the slight at all, man, or just <laughs> thrilled to be going back to Dallas to the Cotton Bowl. <laughs> you know, I'm not really sure uh, how I was feeling then. I, I must not have had too strong of an opinion because nothing's uh, really standing out in my mind. I do, I you know, K-State wouldn't have been the first school to get blown out and still got to have gone to a BCS game. But I think after that Oklahoma game, I, I wasn't too upset that we got left out. I'm sure my emotions at the time were uh, much fiercer than they are now. <laughs> and honestly, the the biggest reason why I wanted this was to just shut up the KU shitbirds that <laughs> talked all all about the BCS when we're again they they obviously don't know anything about college football and alliance bowls and so on and so forth. I, I and I felt like K-State had they squared off against Michigan, they would have had a good chance to win that game. And had K-State done that, then we would finally get to put that talking point to rest. But 
unfortunately doesn't shake out that way, but still the Wildcats get to go into a, a, a great bowl game. And now it, it, there's a, and again, the BCS stigma is unfortunate. <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's the crappy part in all this is that you just, you wanted it to be able to say that you made it to that tier of a bowl game when, it, when in reality, the cotton bowl is every much on the same level. And that's why it's all grouped together now in the new year six. So K-State gets to go and square off against a very, very good Arkansas squad. Uh, I remember being a little frustrated with the way that we kind of played this one. I remember they, uh, Arkansas had a very good punt returner, nation's leading punt returner in Joe Adams. And we made a very big mistake in kicking the ball to him. And he ended up taking one back to the house. And K-State did what it did, though. They got down 19 to nothing. And then, of course, a weird, uh, you know, something you very rarely, you would you would rarely see, but we've seen it multiple times in, in watching Snyder 2-0. You have a blocked extra point get returned for a two-point. Uh, so K-State goes, uh, trims that lead from 19-0 to 19-2. And then they reel <laughs> off a couple of t- touchdowns to get back into this game at 19 to 16. Um, now, unfortunately, the uh, again, this is a very good Arkansas team and, and one that you could very legitimately say it was in the conversation. If you think about how the SEC West, uh, how competitive and how top heavy that division was, that Arkansas team placed them in the Big 12, they probably win the Big 12 conference. This was a a great Arkansas squad coached by Bobby Petrino. And they they do end up winning this game ultimately 29 to 16 being the final score. Uh, but at that point, again, I I wanted to get the win as I'm sure we all did, but the the bull luster is kind of starting to wear on me at this point. And I, I don't know where you guys are in your fandom. And that, that's a question I like to pose to a lot of people. Just uh, how have you gone? Uh, what's your thoughts been on bowl games? You know, thinking back to how you perceived those when you were maybe 15, 16 to how you are when you're now in your mid thirties. I mean, I definitely want to win them. You know, if, if we're there, you know, just d- d- don't, yeah. You know, especially in a year like this where that's going to get you to 11 and two. Right. I mean, that's that 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 puts the cap on a, on a really, really successful season. Um, by the way, I, I had to laugh. I mean, imagine if you're, you know, a fan of neither K-State nor Arkansas and you're flipping channels and land and see that score bug at 19 to two. You're going, what the hell? What kind of a what kind of a glitch in the matrix this is, is a that? very weird baseball game that I've stumbled yes, upon. That's what I was thinking. Is this SEC baseball that we're watching? But uh Anyway, um, you know, obviously, I know Bill almost seemed to downplay him. I know he liked to use him. He 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 was always more about the extra practice time than he was about the game itself. I think, um, especially later in his career. But uh, yeah, this definitely would have been a nice one to get. But I do think that top to bottom, that Arkansas team was just quite a bit better than what K State had to offer. Yeah, bowl games are weird. You know, you win it, your season's still over you lose your season's over, but if you're going to play a football game, you want to win it. And, you know, at this point, this would be what want several bowl losses in a row for K-State. Uh, you know, it was, it got worse the next year. And then we finally exercised some demons against Michigan, but, you know, especially when you're kind of a lower tier football school or or how you're perceived and you're in a conference that is uh literally falling apart you want to go on the bowl stage and uh make a statement 
And that statement doesn't want you don't want it to be that we're not that good at football. So, Alex, just to to add to that, our last bowl win at this point, uh, Terrence Newman was still on the field when we beat uh, Arizona. when we beat Arizona State and and Terrell Suggs in the Holiday Bowl in two thousand two. And even even that was a game that we made way too close. For That's right. That's right. We were yep. eighteen point favorites. Yeah, <laughs> <Our very, laughs> I remember that largest point spread in bowl, one of the largest point spreads in bowl history at that point. Bowls definitely meant a lot more to me when I was younger. I mean, it didn't matter who we were playing, if it was Colorado State or Wyoming. If we're beating them, I feel just as good as if we're uh, beating Donovan McNabb. Maybe not quite as good as beating Donovan McNabb in Syracuse, but uh, it's it's all up there. Um, now, you know, if, if we're in the Fiesta Bowl, that obviously means quite a bit, but, um, these lesser bowls definitely don't mean as much to me anymore. So K-State takes uh, a tough L here at the hands of the Arkansas Razorbacks season finishes at 10 and three, um, lots of postseason accolades for this group. Colin, and you think also about, you know, Arthur Brown being, dubbed new defensive newcomer of the year no no shock there uh colin klein ends up finishing third in the nation and rushing touchdowns uh, lots of lots of superlatives that we can talk about with this team colin klein was also third in terms of carries uh, again the this man toted the ball a lot this season and and it was it was so fun to watch this group they were so uh, again i i can't even say that they were efficient they just made plays that you know that Colin wasn't a particularly polished passer at this stage in his career he was working on that side of his game obviously and getting towards that end but um, this was just such a fun group to watch uh, and just a fun fun season you know obviously winning 10 games any year is going to be fun when you win 10 but just the way that this group did it uh, very reminiscent it to, to give the baseball parallel once again of of the Royals that we saw in 2015 um, in that just always the timely hitting, timely pitching, everything that you needed, you got it. And uh, it, it was, and this was setting the stage obviously for a, a big, big run the following season. Now uh, with that being said, we'll, we'll jump here into our, our what if section and my God, there are a lot of them that we could talk about. And that's the thing. Like we, I don't think we can really iron hammer it down to just like one, one play or a handful of plays. Um, I, I will say though, and, and that, but unfortunately that's what I'm just going to do. I, I will ask you guys, what do you think if K-State doesn't find a way to beat Eastern Kentucky, what does that do? Cause I, I feel like that, puts a pretty big damper on the trajectory of the season. And then you have something like what ends up happening with Bryce. And and then does this team start to question itself? Does the locker room, do you have issues in the locker room? Things like that. There's a lot of big what ifs that come if the, the cats can't finish that game off. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we've seen for years now, anytime there's a close game to a, uh, lower level team it's always compared well you know we did the same thing to eastern kentucky and still had a very successful year but there's also the reverse of that i mean we've lost to north dakota state and then went on to have a relatively successful year that year we 
lost to Arkansas State and then turned around and beat Oklahoma. Um, so there's definitely ways we could have found success still, especially with a leader like Colin Klein on the team. Um, hard to say. We barely beat South Dakota, and that year turned out not so great. So There's lots of 1AA games in Snyder 2 <laughs> that are very stressful. <laughs> lots yeah. of them. Um, uh, and I guess let me let me just open it up to you guys. If if you guys could pick a a play or a moment that you felt like swung the season, what where do you land there? It's got to be that fourth down stand in Miami. Yeah, Colin Klein had 27 rushing touchdowns on the year. I wish we would have tried to run it in uh, with him against Oklahoma State. You know, obviously, I don't know if that's the direction of swinging the season you were talking about, but uh, easily win that game, give Colin a chance to run it in, and who knows what kind of bowl game. Well, I bet you do know better than I do what kind of bowl game we are in if that happens. I'll go with slamming the door against Baylor if for no other reason than, uh, you know, that that he was, I mean, RG3 was truly the phenom uh, at that point in the the year, and it was opening Big 12 play. Um, You know, I think the stage was really kind of set with what we did in Miami the week before. But, yeah, um, I think starting Big 12 play against a really quality opponent, 1-0, I think that that really set the stage for, you know, it it, it really – I don't think we're in the Big 12 hunt all the way to the end of the year if that goes differently. All good ones. Uh, again, there it, it's so hard to to pin down a particular moment and there's just so many again great, you know, little snapshots in in every single game where this this group and these guys just found ways to to make plays whenever you needed them. Um I think that being said, we can jump next into that. Uh, the question that we that we always try to ask uh, in these pods is who do we take on the current roster and place on the 2011 roster? And then who do we take from uh, 2011 place on the current? Um, we're going to say that Arthur is off limits just to make things a little bit more interesting today. So, uh, Alex, go ahead and kick it off to you. Oh, boy. Um it's a tough one. That 2011 team is uh, pretty stacked and loaded. I would say on defense, this current team doesn't probably have too many playmakers I would I would put on that team, except for I think we had a good secondary that year, but it could always be it could always be better. Um, offense was rolling and that, you know, probably much better than what we have coming back. So uh, I think I'm going to take another guy, my second week in a row, picking a guy that has not played a down for K-State, and I will put Julius Brents on the 2011 team. Um, I think we had good cornerback play that year, but if Julius Brents turns out like people are thinking as a future NFL player, then that's obviously an upgrade. And then, <laughs> let's see. Lots of good talent to choose from from that 11 team. I haven't thought about this one as much. Um, probably going to grab, I mean, I want to say Colin, but I think this year's team probably needs defense better. So I'm going to go, 
I don't know. I'm going to put Colin Klein on there because I can't think of it. <laughs> Come back to me. I'll let you guys go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Netter or Clint, who wants to go next? Go for it, Clint. Are you sure? Because I just saw that who you were going to put, and I was thinking the same guy, so I might have to think about it. Yeah, I'll go ahead and go then. Why not? Um, so, uh, I, again, for the second week in a row, I share Alex's line of thinking, but again, for the second week in a row, I don't have the testicular fortitude to take a guy that has not played a snap in purple yet. So um, I'm going to go with Nigel Malone to bolster that secondary just a little bit more. Um, you know, I think we're looking pretty good at uh, we're looking pretty good at cornerback this year, but I know there are some concerns at safety and nickel. And I think you know putting Malone on the outside gives you a little more freedom to to move a new, and move another guy inside. Um, and I actually really, really struggled with who I would take off of this year's squad and put on that 2011 team. Um, what I kind of landed on was coming into that uh, coming into that season, K State had to replace the entire interior of its offensive line. You lost multi multiple year starters in uh, Zach Kendall, Wade Wybert, and Kenny Mayfield. Um, you were pretty well set at tackle, but uh, and I know it's funny I say that because this roster actually had three future NFL linemen on it. Uh, two, all three of them still in the league. Actually, um, you had uh, Cody Whitehair was uh, redshirting that year. You had B.J. Finney who started that year at guard and then actually shifted over to center. And then you had uh, Cornelius Lucas, who was kind of a primary reserve that year, but there was st- there the, the experience wasn't quite there yet. So I'm going to go with uh, Cooper Beebe because uh, uh, he, he's versatile enough and he's got you know a full year of experience under his belt. So I think that probably helps early on. And uh, you know, for as good as this game, as good as this team was on the ground, you know, there were some untimely sacks allowed. Um, so, you know, I do think it's worth noting that, you know, maybe a little added depth up front might have helped a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Cooper Beebe, I think, is the best choice you could possibly put on this team. Um, already a good player at tackle, but when he slid in the guard, he looked like an elite player. As I'm looking up and down this roster, man, I don't know who else you would put. I think there's a few guys on this 2021 squad who could turn out to be pretty good. But looking at them right now and what they've proved, I don't know how you improve this 2011 team. Going the other direction, if I can't take Arthur Brown, um, I'm tempted to take Andre McDonald. We haven't really talked about him. Uh, you know, This was his last year uh, playing for K-State, even though he had eligibility left. And the guy was a monster. He was six foot eight. What was he, 270 pounds, ran – really well for that size. I would have liked to see what he could have done in this uh, uh, system that we're currently running. But I'm actually going to go with Tyler Lockett. Uh, He was just a true freshman at the time. He was not the leading receiver. I could have gone with Chris Harper, but we used him in reverses. He was uh, all Big 12, maybe All-American kick returner at this point. Uh, You know how like Messingham likes to use uh, wide receivers in different ways, getting them the ball in their hands. I would have liked to see what he could have done in the system. Great selections, guys. Uh, and way to diversify there. Like I said, I didn't want to make it too obvious because I think everybody and their brother would have picked Arthur. Uh, very obvious selection. Um, I will say uh, this, man, this defense uh, for 2011, there's 
a lot of NFL talent on here and, and, and even guys who didn't even end up making it to the league. And I, I, I struggle to pick just one, um, Ray Kibble, I'm going to say at D tackle, go ahead and throw him on this 20, uh, 21 squad, just because I know there is a need uh, there, especially seeing uh, the departure of uh, of Wyatt Hubert at end, and you're going to need. A, and honestly, though, it's K State really hasn't had a, a great presence in in the middle. Um, and <laughs> that was my dog making. Oh. <laughs> She's not too happy that we're still awake. Well, damn, <laughs> man, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> All right, we'll get everybody out of here, man. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to say Ray Kibble um, at D-Tackle because, again, K-State just needs a presence in the middle. And I think when you have somebody uh, that allows this, you're going to need all the help you can get with this 2021 squad on the defensive side, particularly in the back end, too. So anything you can do on the pass rushing front, do it. So I'm going to say let's bolster up that front, take Ray Kibble, throw him on that squad. Um as far as player from 21 that I would throw on uh, 11, it's tough for me uh, just because, there, again, <laughs> I think we all kind of struggle with this because there's a lot of unproven commodities here. Um, I'm just going to go and throw something dumb and fun out there. I, I'd like to see what Deuce Vaughn could do on this particular t- on on that 2021 squad because I think of how much attention Colin draws from defenses, obviously. So Deuce Vaughn's going to get a lot of wide open spaces to run through because everybody's going to be keen in on the guy that had over 300 carries in a season. So I think Deuce Vaughn could would have had a chance to wreck teams running around the edge uh, and also just given Colin a, an, op, an option to throw to out of the backfield. There's just a lot of positives there. So I feel like that's kind of a cop-out just because Deuce Vaughn is such a a household name, uh, at least among K-State circles, but that's who I'm going to go with. I'm going to say Deuce Vaughn. And with that being said, I think it's a good opportunity here before Clint's dog grouches at me again to call it a show here. So if you guys have – oh, Alex, we've got one more thing. What do you got? Uh, Yeah. So uh, I'd like to change mine from Colin Klein to Meshach Williams. I'll just, you know. 2021 needs some defense. They have competent quarterback play, I believe. And then one very, very important correction from earlier in the show. Um, Kansas State, for all those uniform nerds out there, they wore the camo helmet in 2013. Not, oh, um, see, I, w- I was wondering if you're talking about the helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the 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 Powercat decal and the, the purple stripes down the helmet were like a camo digital camo um design mm-hmm. it was against iowa state but it was fort riley day in 2011 2013 sorry so so they won a game with an alternate design is that what you're saying yeah that's impossible that correct that didn't happen <laughs> everybody <laughs> untuck your shirts it's happening <laughs> but yeah with that being said our fan base jeff Oh man, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for it, man. I'm ready to rock the cats polo this year. Ugh. This is, is going to be fun season. Going to be fun. No doubt about it. And with that being said, though, again, if you've stayed with us this long, more power to you. I know this was a fun year to, to, to go back and recap. And obviously we've gotten even more 
entertaining season coming up on deck. K-State's run to a Big 12 conference title in 2012. We'll be breaking that one down on the next pod. Uh, Here in the meantime, if you guys haven't already, go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball. Again, you're going to find all of our individual Twitter handles linked out on the account page there. Clint, always putting out great content at the K-State Fan 2 on Twitter. Uh, The K-State player draft in the heat and i was going to say we're deep in the uh, in the throes of the the draft here i'm second guessing every decision i make there but if you all want to follow along on that on twitter again that will be going on what for what i will imagine will be several more days so very fun stuff very great content that we're pushing out thank you guys again for listening to us and as we say to conclude all these shows cats man if you know you know